You're listening to Guinea Pig and Green. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. And we like talking about health, wellness, and eco-friendliness in a fun and approachable way. Today on the podcast, we are talking about a few of our favorite books. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Guinea Pig and Green. Hi, Laura. Hi, Steph. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Mondays. Mondays are great. Mondays are great <laughs> when we have podcasting dates. They really yeah. put the week off onto a good foot. I know. Oh, I'm so, we're so fortunate to be able to spend our money Mondays doing things like this. I know. I totally agree. And also to get our to spend our time talking about books. I mean, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for this episode. Yeah, so this episode was inspired by one of our listeners who actually asked us uh, if we would be willing to record an episode about books, uh, much in the same tone as a previous episode we did before where we talked about our favorite podcasts. Yes, and I was like, yeah, how haven't we talked about this yet? (laughs) Yeah, and and we've had book club before where um, we do podcast episodes specifically dedicated to one book that we've both read. Right. Uh, so we've done Tiny Beautiful Things, Thrive, and The Go-Giver. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just a chance to do a little bit more rapid fire in terms of our favorite books in certain genres. Um, and just to give you a, a small idea of what each of them is about. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. And I kind of wanted to sort of jump off on this topic before we get started on our list of books and just talk about some of the ways that you and I try and read more books, which I think is also a really helpful and valuable thing to talk about. Um, So one of my very favorite apps of all time is called Overdrive, and you can get it on the App Store. I think you can get it for any device but I use it on iOS. And it basically links up to your library account. So if you have a library card in any city, and I happen to have two, they haven't canceled my Montreal one yet, (laughs) knock on wood, Um, then you can sync up to the electronic library that your library has. And then from there, it just works just like a library would. So you have a lending period of 21 days, there aren't infinite copies of books of the ebook that you can download. So sometimes um, you have to go on hold for the most popular books, or there are tons that are always readily available. And of course, like a library, it's completely free. So that is my very favorite way um, to read for free, especially when I don't have access to a public library um, because I'm not living in Canada. So when I've been traveling, I use my iPad mini and I can download all the books that I want. I can get almost every book I want on this app. So it's hugely helpful. (laughs) So amazing. Definitely. I've used Overdrive um, once before, except, and I think I have, I think I'm on the wait list for a ton of audiobooks, uh, all of which are unfortunately popular (laughs) through, um, through the Toronto Public Library system. I And it's also, I, I don't love reading on my device. I'd much rather listen to an ebook if I was going to um, rent one through my device. I like physical books or even just like something that's like a designated e-reader that doesn't glare as much. 
Um, so yeah, I, I've been on the, on the wait list for a while for like some of the other books, um, <laughs> but I can vouch for how convenient it was to use. Like I got an email saying, uh, you're next in line for this book and it's available. Do you still want it? And, um, and I was able to have access to it for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's so great. I mean, I'm kind of with you about the physical books. I definitely get that argument, but then at the same time, I just love reading way too much to like have to wait until I get a physical book on my hands, especially when I'm living in countries that don't have so many English bookstores. And also I can't afford to buy them. So (laughs) this is a good solution for anyone who doesn't mind too much reading on an e-reader or a, a device. Um, and I also wanted to mention another service that I just signed up for today um, for my free trial, but it's going to be my buy one thing to spark joy thing for February, which is a membership to Scribed, S-C-R-I-B-D. And Scribed is described by them and by other magazines as the Netflix for books. So when you sign up, it's a 14-day free trial, like I mentioned, and then afterwards, you pay $9 a month, and you get access to three books um, that are in sort of like the bestseller and new and noteworthy categories, um, and one free audiobook. And you also get access unlimited to another category of books, I guess, they that they deem less <laughs> wanted, <laughs> um, but hopefully still good books. Um, yeah, and so you can read... I mean, that's a lot of books to read for only $9 a month and also to have access to an audiobook. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm hoping that it's going to like fill in the gaps of whatever my library accounts don't have on offer. (laughs) Maybe some of the newer Mm -hmm. books, I can read them on this new app. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I had heard of Oyster books before, but then I read that they're going out of business, actually, which is disappointing, but it was a very similar service. And of course, there's also Kindle Unlimited, um, which does a very similar thing. But when I looked at their catalog, it seems like they only put sort of like C-list books on the unlimited, quote unquote, unlimited category. So um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to trying it out. And like a lot of these new subscription services, um, you can cancel your account at any time. So... Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just so excited. Uh, But I'm ready. All right. Let's talk talk about books we've read. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where do we want to start? Fiction or nonfiction? I think we should start with nonfiction. Okay. Nonfiction. Um, I think we both have a ton of books in this category. I actually at some point started reading way more nonfiction books than fiction. Uh, I tend to only read a fiction book if it has come highly recommended by two people, uh, you being one of them, and uh, one of our good friends from university, Giles, who was an English major, uh, being the other one. Giles it pretty has, much, as long as, sorry? Giles has literally the best taste in books of anyone ever. Yeah, I will read a fiction book if both of you tell me to read it. <laughs> And we'll talk about a few of what those recommendations have been in the fiction section of um, yeah. this podcast, because I know there are a couple on the list that fit both of those requirements. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in terms of nonfiction, I mean, I may as well start with the book I'm reading right now. I'm reading Quiet, which we've mentioned in a previous episode on introversion versus extroversion. Um, and I am finding it so fascinating. Mm-hmm. As an introvert, I see myself in a lot of what Susan Cain brings up in all the research that she's done on introversion. Um, and this book is essentially just her... Uh, one, explaining away sort of these misconceptions about introversion, right. and two, making the argument that uh, we live in a world that's geared towards serving extroverts, and there are a lot of ways that our systems and our businesses and our industries could be improved if we were to take on either some more introverted values uh, or at least find a way to um, encourage introverts to have a seat at the table the same way that extroverts do. Yeah, and to set up the environment a little better to accommodate introverts. Mm-hmm. Like, no more yeah. open offices. That's, like, literally my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one of mine that always makes it to the top of my list is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, Stephen Pressfield also wrote an amazing book. I mean, he's written several amazing books but the other one you might know him from is turning pro which is exceptional but the war of art will always be my personal favorite maybe because i read it first but also because i think it's almost more widely applicable than turning pro um it's basically about how anytime you try and do anything worth doing you will feel this strong sense of resistance um, to tell you not to do it. And that will come in many forms. It will come like you're stupid or no one wants to hear this anyway, or why bother? There's someone else who's done it better already. All that kind of stuff. He classifies under the category of resistance. It's amazing. You can read it in probably half an hour. It's not very long, but the amount of ideas and the powerful message that he packs into this book is just amazing. I've read it maybe three times already, and I think it's one of those books that you just have to read every quarter or something <laughs> to keep mm-hmm. to keep channeling those ideas deep, deep, deep into your brain and remembering them anytime you try and do anything. And even though he says it's the war of art, it's really more like the war of life because it applies to anything, relationships, um, business, and of course, art as well. Yeah, I need to read that. that sounds oh, great. it's so, so good. Yeah. All right, the next one on my list, which I think is on both of our lists, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brene Brown is, uh, most of what she studies and talks about and writes about has a lot to do with shame and guilt and vulnerability. Uh, Rising Strong has a lot to do with um, after you face adversity and you are what she calls like face down in the arena in this like shame in your shame, uh, what happens next. And one of the most powerful messages that I took away from this book is this idea of asking yourself, what is the story I'm making up? So when you're feeling this sense of shame and you don't really want to talk about your feelings, um, what's actually happened? Like, what are the facts um, versus what's the story you're telling yourself? She talks about how we're very, um, like our brains are wired to put together Mm -hmm. stories and we actually reward ourselves for making connections, uh, even if they're not true. So when you decide like, oh, so-and-so did this to me because they're like this, our, the reward center of our brain actually releases dopamine. Um, and so, yeah, that idea of like, sometimes your interpretation of events is just a story and your brain is hardwired to go there. 
Right. I, I loved that one. It's often just a story. <laughs> yeah, because she talks mm-hmm. about how, like, once you make that link, then you're like, oh, good, there's some resolution. I have sort of closure on that topic, even if you're completely wrong. I would actually yeah. like to add, it was also on my list. It's like, <laughs> on my list, it says, Daring Greatly slash Rising Strong, because I think the two of them absolutely <laughs> go together. There's, um, They're just, like, inextricably linked for me. Um, Daring Greatly one of the quotes she says in Rising Strong is basically like, if we're brave enough, often enough, we're going to fall down. Um, And so Rising Strong is about how to get back up, but Daring Greatly is about how you find yourself down there in the first place and how, if you want to live a brave and loving and compassionate and vulnerable and powerful life, you have to dare greatly and then you have to end up falling. She calls it like, the calculus of daring greatly or something like that, the mathematics, because it's just like odds are if you're living out your destiny and you're living out your truth, um, you're going to fall down. Um, Love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. She's just so great. So daring greatly, I think is exceptional. She explains the whole thing about the guy in the arena in the first place. Like, why are we in an arena? (laughs) Um, And she just talks about how to live more vulnerably and more powerfully (laughs) and more bravely. So yeah, they're, they're beautiful. Yeah. I've got two books that I have separated by a slash as well. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So I have Wild by Cheryl Strayed and Tiny Beautiful Things also by Cheryl Strayed. Um, Wild, which a lot of people are familiar with because of the movie that they made with Reese Witherspoon, uh, is one of her stories about uh, her life where she hikes the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, And then Tiny Beautiful Things is a collection of advice columns that she wrote anonymously for a website called The Rumpus. And I grouped them together just because Cheryl Strayed is this, um, I mean, it, she. I was listening to her podcast this morning and Steve Almond, her friend, uh, refers to her as this truth machine. Mm-hmm. And I think for both of those books, like they're just so powerful because she tells her story in two different ways so truthfully, mm-hmm. like heartbreakingly truthfully. And it was really refreshing to read and I loved both of them. Yeah, um, Tiny Beautiful Things has been one of my favorite books since I read it and cried and just was like, okay, I need to just basically give this to every single person that I think could benefit from mm-hmm. it, which is everyone. <laughs> um, and I just, I tell people that for me, it's like, I don't think there's a book that could really teach you how to be a better person and live a better life, like really teach you that. But if there's anyone that comes close, it's this book. It's kind of like, it's like my Bible. It's gospel. Mm-hmm. Love it. (laughs) Um, Okay, what else do I have on my list? Um, I had down the Happiness Project, but really I could group that in with anything Gretchen Rubin has written. So Happiness Project, Happier at Home, and Better Than Before. We talk about Gretchen Rubin on this podcast all the time, but um, I really think that there's something super valuable in, in the Happiness Project, especially she talks about at the beginning, the reason she started her project was not because she was unhappy, but because she was doing a lot of little things that weren't very mindful and that were sort of chipping away at how happy she really could be. And so she Mm -hmm. gives herself this project for a year to focus on a different aspect of her life each month and just goes into all these little habits that she can try and form to live a happier life. Um, 
she's incredible. She's a very good researcher. So all of her books have a lot of science to back up what she's saying. She's not just a mom who decided to write a book. Not that there's anything wrong with that either, but she does have a lot of scientists on her side with this. And she goes really deep into the, into the literature. Um, and then you come away with this sort of inspiration of all of her books. You come away with this inspiration to try and tweak your life a little bit to make it just that little bit better. So love her. Love her, love her, love her. Awesome. Uh, my next book on my list is Thrive, mm. uh, which we've talked about on the podcast. Thrive is written by Arianna Huffington, who's the founder of the Huffington Post. Um, and basically, this came after an event where she collapsed of exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote this book on redefining success. So she talks about this third metric of success, which is really to do with wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and her whole call to action is that we need to be thinking about wellness and mindfulness and meditation uh, in a way like never before. And she echoes a lot of the research that's been coming out lately about how you can actually perform better in the workplace if you take on practices that foster mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's an awesome book. And I, I think she also makes a lot of really great arguments for being happier when you think in terms of abundance. So like you will never feel as if you're lacking if you are giving your time and your money to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I love Thrive. Yeah, so good. Um, okay, next one on my list is A Path Appears. <clears throat> which is by Nicholas Kristoff um, and Cheryl Wu. And they just basically write about how to help other people. And they profile all these amazing projects that are being done around the world to kind of be more helpful. And it's sort of, a lot of them are what you would think of as a charity or a philanthropic organization, but a lot of them are sort of turning those terms on their heads. Um, And they just give you a lot of really, really practical advice about how you can make a difference, what the best way to make a difference is, and also about some of the issues that you might not even be aware of that are happening like virtually in our backyard. Um, So they talk about, for them, it's America, United States of America, but um, I'm sure very similar problems are happening in Canada as well. So I found it very eye-opening, but I also came away with like a pretty solid um, feeling that I now had some real strategies to actually you know put my dollar in a place that's going to count they have a whole list of recommended organizations and they just i don't know what it was about this book it was just kind of like paradigm shifting um they just talk about things in a really practical down-to-earth way um, and super inspiring so um i love that one i definitely think i could reread that one as well nice All right. um, The next one is one that I actually read this year. I tried to, wanted so badly to rent it from the library because I'm trying not to spend all my money on books. But (laughs) to give you a sense for how popular this book is, there are 100 copies of Between the World and Me in the Toronto Public Library system, and there were 400 holds on it. So I decided that if I were to want to read Between the World and Me sometime in the next century, (laughs) I should probably buy it myself. So I did. Um, This book is by Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, and he is um, somewhat well-known for his writing on uh, the relations of African-Americans 
um, and the state of what it's like to be African-American in America right now. Right. And Between the World and Me um, is on that same topic, and it's written as a letter to his son. And I just found it really incredibly eye-opening. I didn't know what I would get from it exactly, but I loved reading it, and I think that I honestly, I think it should be required reading. Mm. I think that, and he actually wrote um, an article that you can find online in the Atlantic called A Case for Reparations, and I think both of those things need to be required reading. Awesome. I really want to read that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You can borrow it, because I paid, like, (laughs) a ton of money for it. Oh, good. Great. Then I will just hold off on reading it until I get home. (laughs) Um, The last one I want to mention just came to me right before we started recording the podcast. Um, And I know you read a Blinkist of it recently. Um, But it's one of my favorite books, one of my mom's favorite books of all time, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which, at this point... You've probably heard the name so many times, and if that if you haven't read it, you're probably like, oh, that old hack of a book or something. I don't know. I feel like it's one of those <laughs> names that just gets tossed around so much. But it is incredibly powerful, like his anecdotes, how he's actually applied all of these principles and habits um, within his own family, within his own business. It's just a bunch of really incredible ideas and really um, smart powerful ideas that are at once like obvious and also not so obvious or um you're like oh yeah but then they're harder to implement than you might think um I definitely Mm. need to reread this one um and I want to read more of his books as well like the eighth habit or um he has one that's called like the third option I think I just butchered that name but it's like how to find a win-win-win situation so mm. yeah Stephen Covey is incredible and I love him <laughs> did you say that was did you say that was your last nonfiction book yeah on this list I mean I on had this a, list I had a couple other ones but well okay I'll just I'll just give a little sound oh, wait, bite. I, <laughs> whoa, whoa whoa wait wait your turn okay okay sorry <laughs> um okay so I grouped the next three books that I'm going to mention together uh-huh Um, because I read them all in the summer, the one summer I was very into running. Uh, The first is Born to Run, which uh, if you are a runner or have, I mean, actually, I think Born to Run is so interesting for anybody. Um, And it's one of the books that was a catalyst for me getting into running. And it's just about uh, humans as a species. um, And it takes a very anthropological look at our relationship with running, as well as makes the biological case for why we've just been built to run, uh, even in some ways more effectively than animals that we think are really great runners, like dogs and cheetahs, for example. Um, Fascinating book. Uh, And through that book, I got introduced to a runner named Scott Urich. And at this point in my life, I was vegetarian. um, And the book mentions how Scott is vegan. And I read his book, uh, which came out shortly after I finished Born to Run, called Eat and Run. Um, where he talks about his journey, I guess, to um, essentially veganism or what he calls a plant-based diet uh, and also his life as an ultra runner. So for those of you who don't know, ultra running is pretty much running lengths of longer than a marathon. In Scott Yurick's case, uh, that includes some 50-kilometer and 50-miler races um, and probably, I think, even longer. Um, 
But I just found that so fascinating. And uh, his book was like a major inspiration for me becoming plant-based myself, becoming vegan, uh, when I realized that there were a lot of athletic benefits to it that he talks about. And then on a similar vein, Rich Roll's Finding Ultra uh, is his journey towards finding a plant-based diet and also this amazing athletic feat that he did, which was three Ironman-length triathlons on three different Hawaiian islands in five days or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Something ridiculous like that. That was just... Um, and I think the th- over the course of those three books, I went from being a non-runner to a runner and vegetarian to vegan. So um, those ones I, lo- I lumped all together. All really great reads if you're interested in learning more about a whole foods, plant-based diet and being an athlete. Cool. Um, the last two that I was going to mention just briefly um, were The Promise of a Pencil, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the autobiography of Adam Braun, who's the founder of Pencils of Promise, an organization that I actually support on a monthly recurring basis. Um, And it's just, it's an organization that builds schools for kids, but the way he's gone about it has been slightly different than other charitable organizations. And he goes into that a lot in the book, but he just sort of has a fresh perspective on how we should do charity work and why, and he has a very interesting start. And each one of the chapters is titled with a life lesson that he's learned somewhere along the way in his journey. I just really enjoyed the book. I thought it was like interesting to read and inspiring and just well, really well written. So I really enjoyed that. Mm. Yeah, I second that recommendation. Mm-hmm. That was a good book. Um, and the last one I wanted to mention was one that we've both read recently, which is, of course, if anyone hasn't read it, what are you doing? Um, Big Magic! (laughs) Uh, Barely even needs a recommendation because, like I said, probably everyone has heard of it by this point and has read the raving reviews. Um, I just adore Elizabeth Gilbert. I follow her on Facebook and have said it so that anytime she posts a new post, because she kind of uses Facebook like a blog, um, anytime she posts a new post, it gets pinned to the top of my newsfeed, so I see it first. And it's like, just makes logging onto Facebook that much more inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> but her book is just full of these amazing stories and wisdom about how to be more creative in your life, not just in art, but in your life. And she's incredible. Yeah, I also love, I mean, is it really lame to love Eat, Pray, Love? Because I did. And Elizabeth Gilbert is just also another beautiful writer. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, plug for her podcast, which she only did a few episodes for leading up to the launch of Big Magic. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for a podcast to listen to, Magic Lessons was so good. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just a project that she did for a really short period of time, and I hope she brings it back. Me too. I hope she brings it back too. Also, her book mm. Committed is really good. Like when she's deciding, she's talking about marriage and commitment mm. and like that one's good too. I mean, she's just such a good writer and thinker and yeah, love her. Speaker. She's a really so. good speaker. Um, that kind of wraps it up for my nonfiction books. What about you? Yeah, let's move into fiction. Let's do it. Okay. So um, I'm almost like jealous that you get to say this one because like I want to say this one. But I feel like you should say it because it's one of those books that falls into the two categories you mentioned. What? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the one that both Giles and I recommended to you like a bajillion times before you read it. 
Okay, I'm pretty sure you're talking about Station Eleven, but it could also be Come Thou Tortoise, and I have both on my list. It was Station um, Eleven. Station, Station okay, 11. Station Eleven was Station Eleven was great, and I actually ended up having pretty much everybody in my family and circle of family friends read it after I was done. Right. Um, and it's really cool if you're from like Toronto or any of the surrounding areas because it's almost this post-apocalyptic book where they talk about what used to be these places that we're so familiar with. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting to read it from that point of view. Uh, the author, the Emily St. James? Yep. Her name? Uh, yeah, no, Emily, Emily St. James. Mandel. Emily St. Mandel is, uh, sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but she's, uh, she's Canadian. So she speaks a lot about Canadian places and I love that. Yeah, but I mean... I don't want to give away the book. (laughs) For me that it was set in in Toronto was was cool, but not my favorite part of the book at all. Like, I just Yeah, but I don't want to give anything away. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you can give the premise without giving it away. So, like, basically what's so terrifying about it is how um, possible the situation she lays out is and it's not like overly dramatic in any way which is kind of interesting for a post-apocalyptic book um so you sort of get to see the genesis of this apocalypse which is a virus um that wipes out a ton of humanity um (laughs) most of humanity and then the real meat of the book is about what happens later so i think that she picks up the book maybe 15 or 17 years after and just talks a lot about how people moved on from it and what has what has been maintained in you know human society and what has not and how people have survived and it's just these really beautiful human stories um along with being completely terrifying because it feels yeah. so possible like all of it just feels possible and that's yeah the I, part. I read too much of it like cooped up on my own and oh, then I, know. I ventured out of I ventured out of my apartment to do something and it was like every convenience store I saw I was like I would raid that convenience store it was <laughs> <laughs> I, I should avoid fiction <laughs> oh my gosh that scene where um the guy goes to like basically the real Canadian superstore at Queen's Key, I was like, no! (laughs) No, no! (laughs) It's too close. My sister lives, like, very close to there. Um, Yeah, anyway. Okay, um, next one I get to say. Ha, ha, ha. Um, I recently read Americana, which is incredible. Really, 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 really good. Um, you were mentioning Between the World and Me, it was kind of about how, how it is to be black in contemporary North America, and Americana is very much about that. It's about a woman who moves to Baltimore, I believe it is, from Nigeria, and um, just what her transition was like, and what her life was like back in Nigeria, and what the life of the boy she left behind in Nigeria was like, and it's it's just so fascinating, super, super interesting, um, and it really illuminates, like you said, those politics and those dynamics, and then ultimately, it's also a love story, so I just really mm-hmm. liked it. It's just really, really good piece of fiction. Um, yeah. I would do that. I'll see if it's on Giles' list, too, and <laughs> <laughs> I'll, con- I'll consider it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. All right, next one, Laura. Um, a few weeks ago, I just finished To Kill a Mockingbird, 
And I know that you're <laughs> supposed to read this in high school, and I'm fairly certain that I was supposed to read this in high school. And I don't know if maybe I just don't remember anything about the, or didn't remember anything about the book, but I felt like I was reading it for the first time. Um, Harper Lee unfortunately just passed away a few weeks ago as well, uh, mm -hmm. shortly after I finished reading the book. Um, but To Kill a Mockingbird is so beautiful and has some really important topics in it, and I just enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah. Um, it's set in the 1930s-ish uh, in the South, um, and uh, race relations is really huge for this. I actually read it right before Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, and in a lot of ways it was a really important precursor mm. um, that I read it in that order, just a half like I just happened to right. um, but it's really great and it's told by the perspective of a little girl of course if you read this book in high school you already know this <laughs> <laughs> um, in which case I apologize but I, I actually really liked it and if it's been a while since you read it or if you haven't had a chance to read it yet because you're like me and totally <laughs> flaked out on your readings um, I highly recommend that you give it another shot nice hmm. um all right, I'm gonna actually just recommend a couple of my favorite authors in this because I really love everything they've written. Um, so the first one I wanna mention is Curtis Sittenfeld, who I just think she's an incredible writer. She's amazing. Her first book was called Prep. She also has a book um, called American Wife, which is sort of loosely based on Laura Bush, um, but it's really just about like a presidential wife. It's incredible. I really don't remember it very much anymore, but I remember just loving it. Um, and then Man of My Dreams, which I adored. I just could relate to it really a lot when I read it. And then her most recent book, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of her most recent book. Oh, Sisterland, um, which is also really good. So all of her novels are just really beautifully written, really interesting. She has a really unique perspective and she has really great observational skills, which is awesome for a writer. Um, and I just, I think she just does a really, really good job of writing like poignant, relatable fiction. So love her. Awesome. My list is more or less done. <laughs> um. Didn't you mention also Come Thou Tortoise? Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, although it's been a while since I read it. I read it in 2013. Mm. Um, and Come Thou Tortoise takes place on the east coast of Canada um, and was recommended to me, naturally, by Giles and Steph. Um, and it's told by the perspective of... I mean, it's half told by the perspective of this girl who is super unique in her way of thinking about life. Um, and also told by her tortoise. And it sounds really stupid when I say it like that. <laughs> um, but I remember really enjoying it. And I think that there's just something about reading books that puts you in this different mindset to your own. Um, so maybe part of To Kill a Mockingbird, where you're reading it from Scout, this little girl's perspective, or even something like Room, where you're reading it from the little boy's perspective. Um, there's just something really magical about being in their world. Um, so Come Thou Tortoise, uh, yeah, I remember really enjoying. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll just go quickly through the rest of mine then. <laughs> okay. Um, I also really love um, David Mitchell, the writer, David Mitchell, and his book Cloud Atlas especially is incredible. Um, I have not seen the movie that they made that looked like a bit of a hot mess. I don't really know how it was, but um, the book is insane. It's 
amazing. Um, so don't let the Tom Hanks movie fool you. Um, <laughs> and also all of his books are incredible. The only one I haven't read is his latest Bone Clocks um, because I feel like I really need to like hunker down and read it in physical form and just like cherish every word. Um, but I love all his books. And Giles would back me up on this one, Laura. Um, the Thousand Autumns of Jacob DeZoet is incredible. So um, <laughs> read that one. Um, also, Rainbow Rowell, I really love her. She writes half for adults and half young adult fiction. But her young adult fiction is still super relatable and also very enjoyable if you're an adult. Um, so the first one I read by her was her first, Eleanor and Park, which is sort of like a high school love story. And it's just really beautiful. Um, but all of her books I love. So Attachments is really good. Landline. Um, I'll read anything she's written. So she's incredible and very prolific. So she's always coming out with new books, which is amazing. Um, and then the last author I wanted to mention was Sarah Addison Allen, who writes sort of like, I believe the term for her, her style is magical realism. Um, so it's like set in the real world and there's not really magic, but there's sort of like maybe magic. <laughs> um, and you're like, not quite sure. And it's not magic, like a magician, like a wizard doing things, but like this woman, she just has this weird intuition where she always knows the right gift to give to someone and it always ends up like they need that thing later or whatever. It's like things like that. It's just really sweet. It's really easy to read her books. Um, and I just find that they transport me to a different world and just make me, I read them. It's like comfort food, but in books, I read them again and again, whenever I feel like I need a little pick me up. So I highly recommend her. So yeah, this was a very successful rapid fire. It was, yeah. Did yeah. you have any other like recent favorites that you wanted to mention? I forgot to tell you that I had written down a few for that category. That, recent favorites? Yeah. That no, I think like... I, I think, I think I talked about my recent favorites. Okay. Um, I recently have read these. Were, these ones would be ones that wouldn't make like my top. Well, I don't know yet. Time will tell if they will make my top <laughs> list. But I recently read. I'm just going to list them. They're a combination of, um, well, they're, yeah, combination of nonfiction and fiction. So All the Money in the World by Laura Vanderkam, which we're actually going to do a money month soon based on yeah. some of those principles. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, Delancey by Molly Weisenberg, which is about her and her husband starting a pizza restaurant. And oh my gosh, I was transported. I was like, okay, I need to start a pizza restaurant like yesterday. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. In Portland, yeah. they started this restaurant and her writing is incredible. She's so, so good. She wrote the blog Orangette. So I don't know if you're, any of you are familiar with that blog, but she's really great. Um, I recently read Middlesex um, by Jeffrey Eugenides. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, um, which was so, so well-written amazing i just loved it um and fates and furies by lauren graff um, oh my gosh you're the second person to recommend that to me yeah but that one Giles i mean wasn't... that one is on like every book club list from here yeah. to antarctica right now but it right. was really really good yeah oh maybe i have to give it a shot it's interesting it's like it's one marriage told from two perspectives but they only change mm -hmm. the perspective at the halfway point um, cool. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I really enjoyed that one. So, all right. Yeah, Ugh, I could talk about books all day. I wish we could, 
But um, I would like to put out the call to our listeners to tell us what are their favorite books because um, I was like editing a list of the Red Ten Sisters favorite books just earlier today and I was like discovering all these new titles that I hadn't ever heard of but that looked amazing and it was just a good reminder that like even though I read a lot I don't always know all the top books Mm -hmm. so I would love for people to send in their recommendations um so you can get us on Twitter at Green Guinea Pigs we're on Facebook as well and you can leave a comment on our blog guineapigandgreen.com um, we would just love to hear from you and we would love to read the books that you love. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening. I hope that for those of you who have book reading goals for this year or who just love to read, uh, or even those of you who don't read that much, I hope that at least one of these books sounded like something that you would love to add to your to-be-read list. Yes. All right, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.